So this week has been kind of crazy for me. I kind of talked a little bit about it uh, this morning before we got started. Uh, this week I went to Chicago. I uh, was asked to be on the Town and Country Commission. It's a group of pastors and lay people gathered together to, uh, to talk about and to advocate for um, uh, town and country churches, small town churches, uh, rural churches, to make sure that we are encouraging each other and one that the, the denomination and the leaders of our denomination are, are putting in resources to help us to remain healthy and missional. And it's interesting, as I was talking with, uh, with a couple other pastors and some other lay people, there's six of us on this commission, and every one of us are in this vitality process. Every one of us are on this journey to become healthy and more missional. So it was really great and encouraging to talk to them. There's one church, uh, actually one pastor there, his name was Mark Chapman, from a bolt, South Dakota, this tiny town, I think, of 70 people, he said. A town of 70 people in the church is like 80 people that they're actually gathering people from other surrounding communities and how they've been on this process for six years now and how it's beginning to show fruit. And he can point back and see some of the difficulties. And it's been great to talk with him. But also, too, it was great to um, hear some of the history of how the vitality, this journey to vitality came about. I didn't realize it, but it was actually called for or requested or um, talked about by the small town and country churches coming to the denomination saying, hey, we need some help. We need some resources. And so they did. They, they formed this, this vitality or church vitality department in the denomination to help churches, not just town and country, but all churches across the covenant become healthier and more missional. Well, it was good. I just want to tell you some of the fruit that I brought back from that. One was that we got a, talk, we got a chance to talk with uh, seminary students at North Park Seminary. Um, I don't know if anybody here has been to Chicago or North Park. But it's pretty great to see some of these buildings and some of these uh, things that I've heard other pastors and other people from North Park talk about. So it's great to go. But also we got a chance to talk with seminary students and to encourage them, these people who are getting ready to graduate out of uh, seminary and go into ministry, whether it's at a church or other forms of ministry, and to talk with them and encourage them that uh, in the covenant, a third of the churches in the covenant are a town and country church. It means that they are in a church in a town of less than 10,000 people or in a rural uh, community with no town at all. And to encourage them to, to be willing to, to listen to God's call on that and to maybe take an internship in a rural church. So um, I need to talk with the SLP, but we might be filling out one of those uh, intern applications to maybe have an intern from North Park come here. The other good thing that I talked about is I came home and I started talking with Jeff Anderson, our conference superintendent. I started talking with Gerald Froze, our church vitality uh, director for the, con- the Canadian conference. And talking with them about ways that we can encourage our uh, fellow town and country churches across the covenant, uh, across Canada. And the, Canada the covenant in Canada is mostly small and rural churches. So it's a great opportunity for us to encourage, uh, for me to encourage and gather together other pastors and lay people. The reason why I'm talking about this is one, so that uh, maybe you understand why, why my kids are all over the place today. So they've been actually pretty good. Um, but also, too, is because as I'm working on this, um, as I'm working on this commission, I'm also at the same time preparing for the sermon today. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about vitality. And, you know, uh, this couple of weeks ago, Deb Story and Tracy, they went to, uh, to navigate in Minneapolis and they came back and brought some of the news of their vitality or their um, uh, conversations and what they learned and what they were, God was speaking to them. About a month ago, we had John Wenrick, who is the, the director for church vitality for the whole uh, covenant denomination. He was here and and taught a workshop, and we've been working on a relational covenant last spring. So all these things, you know, we've been working on. And, 
the one thing that I, the question that I, I think is a fair question that I think maybe some of you are asking um, is, does God want us to be healthy and missional? You know, does God want us to be a healthy and missional church? And, you know, we've talked about some, like, we are a stable church and there's good things that happen with that. And sometimes there's things that we need to ask God's forgiveness because sometimes we hold on to comfort more than what God is calling us to do. But what I, want, what I really think for us as a church is what I'm excited about is us building on the stableness of our church. Building on stable to move towards healthy and missional. But the question is, does God want us to be healthy and missional? Does God want us to be healthy in our relationship with him? Does God want us to be growing more and more of us, more and more consistently, showing up on Sunday to worship and praise Him? More of us, more consistently, showing up in small groups to learn more about Jesus and who He is. More of us, more consistently, devoting time each day to know Jesus, to spend time with Him, that all of our day would become devoted to Him. Does God want us to be healthier in our relationship with Him and with each other? Does God want us to be more missional? Does God want us to live a lifestyle that proclaims the gospel? To live in such a way that people see us and they say, I want what they have. Does God want us to live a more missional life where we are intentionally talking with our friends, with our neighbors, with our co-workers about Jesus? I mean, not beating them over the head and telling them how bad they are because they don't believe in the Bible unless maybe that would work with that one particular person. But... (laughs) But those conversations where we have, we say, I've experienced this amazing grace of God and I just want you to know. I want you to know what I know. I want you to to receive what God has given me. Does God want us to be more missional? Does he want us to be healthy and missional? Let's look into the text. If you would, look in your bulletins. There's this white sheet here. This comes from Genesis chapter 9. This is right at the beginning, the heart of the covenant that God gave His people at Sinai. If you want to look in your Bible, it's Genesis chapter 19, verse 1 to 8. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Sorry. That's, thank you. It's uh, Exodus, not Genesis. Exodus 19. Man, I told you it was one of those weeks. Exodus 19, 1 to 8. You can look in your Bible, those of you who want to verify it. Yes, it's Exodus 19. In the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out, the, after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in the front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Reading this text, I want us to hear that God wants us to be healthy. God wants us to be healthy in our relationship with Him. 
God wants us to be healthy in our relationship with Him, to love Him with our heart, with our mind, with our soul, and with our strength, with every part of us. This is central to the covenant in Sinai, is our relationship with God. Now, I want to talk some just about this, because sometimes the, in the New Testament, this, you get the word, Paul talks about namos in Greek, it means law. And I want to talk that sometimes I think that, you know, in our culture, most people don't really like laws. They talk about laws kind of in a negative sense. I mean, there are good laws, don't get me wrong, but generally people are like, oh, the law. And I think part of it, too, is maybe that we in the church, when we, when we hear Paul say law in the New Testament, or other teachers or other apostles, that we maybe forget that when they say law, they mean Torah. And I want to talk to them just about how, in the church, especially in the Christian church, how, or the Protestant church, how we've kind of followed people like Martin Luther, who was a great theologian, but he really played off the idea of grace versus law. And there's, as you read through Paul, you'll see there's places where, that, where he talks like that, or it can seem like that. But I think it's also good for us to remember that Paul, his Greek name Paul, his, actually his given name was Shaul. That he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. That he was from the tribe of Benjamin. That he was a faithful follower of Jewish, or Judaism. That he believed in God. And that he, through revelation, Jesus revealed to him who he was. And Paul became a follower of Jesus. He recognized him as the Messiah. But as, Jesus, as Paul began to follow Jesus, his idea or his view of the law, he didn't just like, abandon Judaism. He didn't just say, okay, I guess the law is all wrong and I can just follow Jesus. No, he, he knew that the law was good. If you read in Romans chapter 7, especially chapter 7, verse 12, he talks about how good the law is, how righteous and holy it is. So I want us to maybe, if we can today, instead of using the word law, I'll try my best to use the word Torah. Because Torah means teaching or guidance. That God gave this covenant at Sinai not to put a bunch of laws on the people and to try and make their lives miserable, but to guide them because he loved them and he wanted them to be his holy people. So I wanted to just say that in the beginning because sometimes we say, how can healthy and the covenant, how do those fit together? This is how they fit together. The Torah is guidance. It's God's, God's guiding our lives. So I want to encourage us in that. But the other thing that I wanted to say too is that the covenant um, is God that God desires for us to be healthy. God desires for us to be healthy in our relationship with Him. So if you would look with me um, at this, and at the, the passage here, right at chapter 3, or at verse 3. So it says, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, what you are to tell the people of Israel. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles', on eagles wings and brought you to myself. I want to make the point here is that though God is giving the covenant in Sinai, he has already saved the people. He's already brought them out of Exodus. And in fact, he's already saved them. And then he's not only that, but he's kept the promise that he made to Abraham centuries ago. That the Lord God, that this law or this covenant, this Torah at Sinai, it's not necessarily, a, it's not really a, um, a conditional God has already saved them. Even here, God is being gracious. God is saving this people because of who he is, because of his steadfast love. Now, some of you maybe have already read and you say, but, but Jason, look at this next passage where it says, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured, my treasured possession. 
And we can kind of read that if, and I think there's places where it happens this way, but almost as a conditional. That God's sort of saying, if you do these things, then I'll do my part. The trouble I have with that, I think there's part of that's how ancient uh, covenants used to work when kings would take over a nation. There's that, there's a, I can see how that fits in some way. I mean, eventually uh, Israel was sent into exile, but God has always been faithful to them. I mean, think about even the moment at Sinai when God had given them this law, this guidance on how to live. Moses went back up to the mountain and the people built a golden calf, an idol, just after God had said, don't worship any other god but me. Don't make any images. And yet the people still, the next thing they do is build this, this idol. They rebel against God. Now, this would seem like, you know, we'd say like, oh, well, that's, they broke it. It's over. And God would destroy them. But actually, he remains faithful. We see it throughout the Old Testament how God remains faithful time and time again. When judges come because the people are wicked, God remains faithful. When kings rise and fall, some good, some wicked, God remains faithful. So I just want to help us see that even the covenant, God, it's a covenant of faith. That God is doing this because he's already chosen his people, elected them to be his people. So this idea that covenant is, comes out of grace, it's also good for us to see that this covenant is relational. Now, oftentimes we think of laws and we think of things like, you know, don't drive too fast or you know, make sure you stop at stop signs. And, you know, and that's pretty, I guess, okay laws. You know, stopping at stop signs, good idea. But when we look at this law or this Torah, we receive or we realize that it's relational. And I want to look especially at the, the Ten Commandments. Those are about our relationship with God and with each other. If I could be so bold as to sum them up that way. The first four talk about our relationship with God. Don't put any other God above Him. Don't misuse God's name. Don't make idols of God. Observe the Sabbath to keep it holy for the sake of God. But also when you think about it, when you realize the Sabbath actually becomes sort of like this transitional one in that it talks about our relationship with God but also helps in our relationship with each other. This is a day of giving rest to slaves and people in the house. But then in the next six of the commandments, they're about our relationship with each other. Honor your mother and father. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet your neighbor's things. These things have to do with our relationship horizontally. So you see, the Ten Commandments, when you can sort of look at them in these broad terms, become a relational document about a relationship that we have with God, the vertical relationship, and a relationship with each other, the horizontal relationship. It's a relational thing. And it begins to help us maybe see it a bit differently. But I want to encourage us that that these things, that the the covenant is relational, but it's also God's way of saying, I want you to be healthy. I want you to be healthy in your relationship with me. God gave this covenant to guide his people on how to be in a right relationship with him. So when we say healthy in our church here, because you know, I've heard people ask me, like, what does it mean to be healthy and missional? What are we talking about here? By healthy, we mean pursuing Christ or pursuing God. We mean showing up here on Sundays to worship God. Not just to go through the motions, but to sing our hearts out to God, praising Him for the ways that He has changed our lives. By healthy, we mean spending time, taking time maybe in the morning or, or maybe in the afternoon or in the evening to 
devote our time to God, to, to spend some time with our Savior, the Lord who has come, who has brought us into this new relationship. By healthy, we mean spending time with each other in small groups, where not only are we learning more about Jesus and about God our Father and about the Holy Spirit, but we're also encouraging each other, bearing each other's burdens. By healthy, we mean growing in our relationship vertically with God and growing in our relationship horizontally with each other. That's what we mean by healthy. God desires us to be healthy. That's why He's given us, or given the people of Israel, this covenant. That we, that they, and that we, as a result, as, uh, as people of God, that we would be healthy. And I think of how this is all sort of summed up Jesus when the Pharisees asked Him, you know, what's the greatest law? How He summed it up. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself this vertical relationship with God and this horizontal relationship with each other. God desires us to be healthy. Okay. But God also desires us to be missional. God desires us to be a missional people. I'm thinking of what he talked to to Abraham. You have been blessed to be a blessing. You have been saved to proclaim salvation to the world. You have been made the people of God to proclaim the kingdom of God. Our salvation is personal so that it will become missional. Let me take just a moment here to talk about this word missional. In the covenant, in covenant churches across Canada and across North America, when we say missional, we mean pursuing Christ's purposes in the world. That includes talking with people about faith, about encouraging them to believe into Jesus because it will change their life. That includes things like compassion, mercy, and justice. Not only helping hurting people, but helping to fix the things that hurt people. Missional has this broad sense. Because I've had some people come to me and say, you know, we're a missional church. We, we support eight missionaries. Which is great, like supporting missionaries. I mean, the word is very similar, missional and missionaries. But that's a, that's a portion of what it means to be missional. Supporting missionaries or foreign missions is a portion of what it means to be missional. Missional is about our lifestyle as well. It includes the way that we live, the way that we care for others, the way that we sacrifice and serve others. That is missional. This focus in our church and in our lives on the mission of God. God desires to redeem this creation, to restore this whole creation, to bring the nations into himself. That's what we talk about when we're saying missional. See, God has been missional from the beginning. When Adam and Eve, when they rebelled against God and everything went horribly wrong, God began his, his, his project, his rescue mission with Abraham. When he came to Abraham, he said, I will bless you and you will have a a huge family and you will have nations and kings will come from you and you will be a blessing to the nations. You will be a blessing. I will bless you so that you will bless others. This is a covenant that God made with Abraham. But it continues to be worked out in Moses or with Moses at Sinai. See, sometimes people look at the covenants of Abraham and Sinai and they look at the covenant that God made with David and they think like, oh yeah, God makes a few covenants throughout the Old Testament. But I want us to see, 
Because I think this is what the Bible is saying, what God is revealing, is that these covenants build on each other. They are moving in a direction towards Jesus. They are moving in a direction towards Him, that He is the Messiah, the one who fulfills these covenants. I want us to see that, that, Moses, or that Abraham, when God made this promise to Abraham, that when he fills it out more and gives the Torah at Sinai, it's filling out, it's deepening the promise he's made to Abraham. And next week when we talk about the promise that he made to David, that a king would come from him, that's, that's filling out more, adding more to God's plan of redeeming, of redeeming the world of creation. So I want us to see this. So God has been on this mission plan. He's been on this, this rescue mission for all of creation. But I want us to see, too, um, that, that it's in this text that God gives us this identity of who we are. So if you would look with me at um, verse 5. And he says, Now if you will obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Let me just take a few of those key terms there. One of them is that you will, he says, God says, you will be my treasured possession. Now, those of you who have read the book of Exodus, especially the part after the people leave Egypt and the part to the Sinai, you know that God is not saying this because of their pleasant disposition. God is not saying you will be my people because you're such a wonderful and delightful people. When the people came out of, out of Egypt and they got to the, to the Red Sea, they said, oh, Moses, what have you done? You've brought us out of Egypt to be killed here at the Red Sea. We would have rather stayed as slaves than be killed out here. Then God parts the Red Sea and they walk across on dry land. God saves them in a miraculous way. And then they go a few more days. And then they say, oh, Moses, we're so thirsty. If only you would have left us as slaves in Egypt. We're so thirsty, we're dying. And God provides water out of a rock in this miraculous way. And people have plenty of water. And you think like, oh, maybe they get it now. But they don't. Later he says, oh, we're so hungry. Uh, we wish you would have left us as slaves in Egypt where we had plenty of food to eat and we're starving out here. Did you bring us out here to starve? God provides manna, bread that's come down from heaven and the people have more than they need. God keeps proving himself faithful and faithful. And yet the people still struggle. Moses said, at one point says, God, what are you doing? What am I supposed to do with these stiff-necked people? So it's not because of their pleasant disposition. It's because of God's faithfulness. It's because of God's character that he has made these people his special people, his treasured possession. But he also has done this. He's made them his special people for God's special purpose. These people have been called out and made God's people for the sake of the nation. And we'll talk about this some more. But let's look on. He also says that you will be a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. A holy people. Sanctified to God. Sanctified to Him and to His purposes. Now I think about this, about what is the purpose of a priest? I mean, we, we don't really have priests um, anymore. I mean, I guess the Catholic Church, they call their guys priests. But um, in the Old Testament, in a very basic sense, maybe too basic, but in a very basic sense, the priest's job was to help the people worship God. In some ways, to represent people, but also in a very important way, to help the rest of the nation worship God rightly. And so I was thinking about this. If we, or if actually not we, but if the people of Israel are this kingdom of priests, that 
as priests or the king of priests, their role is to help the rest of the nation worship God. Help the rest of the world, people outside the people of Israel, help them to worship God. That's their role as a kingdom of priests. So he said you'll be a kingdom of priests and he said you'll be a holy nation. A holy nation, a sanctified nation. Consecrated, set apart. God says, be holy as I am holy. And I think part of what their job as a holy nation is to reveal what God is like, to show God's holiness to the rest of the world the best they can, and to show what it looks like to live faithfully as God's people. To the nations around them to show what God desires people to look like, how he desires them to live. The whole thing has this missional goal to it. God is calling these people, making them his people for the sake of the nations around them. That they would be, that the nations would be drawn to God. So we see the missional component of it. Now see, the thing is, I was reminded as I was reading and studying this, that God's desire for the nation runs right through the scriptures. I think of the words that God spoke to the prophet Isaiah. When he said, it is too small a thing. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant and to restore the tribes of Israel, or sorry, the tribe of Jacob, to bring back those of Israel whom I have kept. He said, I will also make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. He's saying here that it's not enough for you to just be my people. I've made you my people for the sake of the Gentiles, for the sake of the nations, that they would be my people also. And I was thinking about us as a church. And I was challenged by this in my own life. I hear God speaking to us, saying it is too small a thing for us to be, a, to be blessed and then not be a blessing. It is too small a thing for us to be saved and then not proclaim God's salvation to the world around us. It is too small a thing for us to have been made the people of God and then not go out and cultivate the kingdom of God in our community and communities around the world. It is too small a thing for us to make our faith so personal that it stops being missional. It is too small a thing. God is calling us to be a healthy and missional people. By healthy, we mean growing in our relationship with God and with each other. By missional, we mean going out and living our faith in front of people, looking for opportunities to make the connection for them. To say, I live this way because God has changed my life. Or to encourage them or to help them where they're hurting. That's what we mean by healthy and missional. So I'm hoping this morning I'm hoping, actually, that this is reconfirming things you already know about the Covenant Sinai. But I suspect for maybe some of you, this is some new things for you. Maybe you're learning some new things. I hope that you're hearing how faithful God is. That the Torah, that it's God's, it is God's guidance for how the people of Israel were meant to live. For the sake of mission, they would draw the nation to Him. I pray that you're seeing how the, the promise that God made with Abraham fits with the promise that God made to the people of Israel at Sinai. And that all of these things are working together to set right what went wrong when Adam and Eve, when all of creation fell. That God is on this mission plan. or on this project to restore creation. I pray that you see this.
I pray that you begin to see these stories, these covenants of the Old Testament as good news. But I have better news for you. I have even better news. That Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, He is the fulfillment of these covenants. They find their fulfillment in Him. He is the climax of the covenant. Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah, He is the one who fulfills all the prophets, all the Torah and the prophets. They all find their fulfillment in Him. Now, sometimes I think, and I talked to him about this last week, that sometimes I think maybe we get the wrong idea that you know God tried his luck with the people of, of Israel and it just didn't work out, so he had to figure out something new. That's not what happened. God had always intended to work through Abraham and through his descendants and the people of Israel. And we see it here, God reconfirming it again at Sinai. And we'll hear it again next week as God makes the promise to David that God has been working through these people on purpose. But we also realize, as we are going to get more into this, reading through the New Testament, that Jesus is the fulfillment of faithful Israel. That all of Israel becomes, becomes funneled down into one person. Who's not just a great guy. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. It all is fulfilled in Him. He is the one who finally and faithfully does what Israel, what no people could ever do, and that is faithfully follow God. Perfectly, without sin and blameless. Jesus is the fulfillment. And we are here today. I think, as I look around, I don't think any of us have any Jewish heritage in our lives or in our ancestry. We are here as Gentiles because of Jesus. Because of His life, because of his death and his resurrection, because he is the Messiah. We are here. We are a part of God's people because of Jesus. Like I was talking about last week, we are grafted in to the people of God because of Jesus. We have been made the people of God because of Jesus. I want you to see how amazing it is what this means for us. That we have this new identity in Christ. No longer, uh, at one time we were not a people, but we have been made a people. The people of God. Take a moment and, and look at this with me here at First Peter. It's right here, the bottom part of your insert. I did get that reference right. First Peter, chapter 2, verse 9. It says, so Peter's writing to the churches of Galatia. And he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Does that sound anything like we were just reading in Exodus chapter 19? That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Because of Jesus, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are the people of God. Now, this is amazing news for us. This changes everything for us. 
But I want to make the point here that he makes this, or Peter helps us re- realize this, so that we would realize what we are called to do. This, this identity comes with a vocation. If you look at it, it says, um, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says, in verse 9, he says, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. That we would be faithful followers of Jesus, live out this faith, that we would declare God's glory. Now, I don't think Peter means declare to your Christian neighbor sitting next to you in the pew. I think he means declare to the people, to our friends, to the people around us. In the text, it uses the word pagan, which is not very fun anymore. But it's the biblical way of saying people who have not yet trusted their lives into Jesus. That we would declare who he is in front of them. That our lives would declare who Christ is. Peter goes on to say, live such good lives that the people around you, there's that word pagan, the people who have not yet followed Jesus, that they would see your life and they would glorify God on the day he visits us. That they would see the way that we live and they would want to follow Jesus. We have this identity and this identity comes with a vocation. You have been made the people of God to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now maybe some of you, uh, maybe some of you are still wrestling with this question about who Jesus is. But even if you've been a Christian for a long time, I have good news for you. Jesus has begun. He has inaugurated or initiated a new covenant. Paul says, you are no longer under the law. You've been saved by grace. It no longer matters whether you've been circumcised or what days you celebrate or what kind of food you eat. You've been saved by grace. You have been restored. You've been made the part of the people of God by Jesus. And it's actually the writers of Hebrew, he says, he says, you don't come to this mountain that you cannot touch, that is burning in fire. That is dark and gloomy and storm. To a trumpet blast. Or to such a voice that speaks that those who hear that they would beg that he would speak to him no longer. Because they were, they were overwhelmed by what he commanded. The commandment was, if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. It was terrifying. It was a terrifying sight, so terrifying, that Moses said, I am trembling in fear. But you have come. You have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You have come to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, and to the souls or the spirits of people, of of the righteous men who have been made perfect, You've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkling of blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The reality is we don't come to a mountain that we cannot touch, that we are terrified of. We come to Mount Zion in the new covenant. Gentiles, people who've been included into the people of God, grafted in, given this promise, given this salvation, this hope in Christ. 
Jesus is the climax of the covenant. He is the fulfillment of the covenant. And he has brought us into his people. He has made us the people of God. A priest, our kingdom of priests. A treasure possession, a holy nation. Now we've covered a lot of ground this morning. And I'm hopeful that you're still seeing a few key things. One is how amazing God is. That even in the Old Testament, God is faithful. I know sometimes when we read New Testament or we hear things, we can start to think, wow, God sure did go through a personality change when Jesus came. That's not true. God has been God throughout the Scriptures. He's been faithful from the beginning, working with Abraham and the people of Israel, Sinai, and and King David to bring redemption to the nations. To restore all of creation. And I hope you're also seeing that God desires for us to be healthy and missional. God gave this covenant in Sinai so that his people would be healthy with him and healthy with each other and so that they would be a blessing to the nations that the people around them would see who God is and believe and trust him with their lives. So so maybe some of you are saying, okay, I'm starting starting to gel, starting to come together for me. Jason, what's one thing that I can do this week? Well, it's not one thing, it's two things. I want you to do two things this week. The first thing I want you to do this week is pursue Christ. Pursue Jesus. The second thing I want you to do is pursue Christ's purposes in the world. If you want to look to it, it's on your insert there, the sermon, uh, the sermon notes at the bottom. I want you to do two things. Pursue Christ and pursue his purposes in the world. By pursue Christ, I mean spend time with him. Spend time with him this week. Set time aside each day. Each day to to spend time and to read his word or to pray or to fast or to serve. However God works through you to draw you close to him, spend time with him. I want you to show up at a small group this week. If you're not yet part of a group or maybe you haven't been to the group in a long time, I want you to show up at a small group. I want you to hear and to encourage your brothers and sisters and to learn more about Jesus and who he is. I want you to pursue Christ this week. And I want you to pursue Christ's purposes. That can be as simple as looking for an intentional conversation with a friend or a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus yet. Or who maybe you think they know him, but they have the wrong idea of who he is. Have one conversation. Or maybe sacrificially serve somewhere. Walk down Baker Street and look and find someone who, who looks like they haven't had a meal in a while. And say, hey, do you want some lunch? And then take the time to sit down and eat with them and listen and encourage them. Pursue Christ's purposes in the world. Do these two things this week. And I tell you, I get excited when I imagine you, when I see you doing these things. I can already see it. I can see us as a church growing more faithful in our walk with Jesus. Pursuing Him as we sit down, as we read God's Word this week, each day. Or as we pray and spend time with Him. Or as we find some way to serve in a way that draws us closer to Jesus. I can't wait as I think about how this will begin to affect us and help us grow in our faith. I get excited as I think about the conversations that you're going to have this week with your friends or your co-workers or your neighbors or people in your family as you encourage them in faith. And I can't wait as we begin to see more of them fill in these seats next to us. As this place becomes crowded with our friends and our neighbors, the people we care about, the people we want to see living this new faith in Christ, as we see them here with us, praising God because they have received new life in Christ. I can't wait to see this. 
I can't wait to see the kingdom of God cultivated in our community. The kingdom of God changing the lives of the people around us. People who struggle with things like addictions or abuse. Marriages that are falling apart. Kids who are, are families that are tearing apart. As we see the kingdom of God flourish in our community and things begin to change. People's lives begin to change. I hear God speaking to us this morning and I can't help but speak it to you. God desires us to be a healthy and missional church. God desires us to be growing in our relationship with Him and our relationship with each other and, and proclaiming this good news to the community around us. You are a new people, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a treasured possession of God. I get excited when I think about this identity for us. Amen.